Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Jeff Klender, the CEO of UR Energy. We discuss the closures at Cigar Lake, Kazatom Prom, Namibia, and uh, BHP's Olympic Dam. We also discuss the price of uranium at the moment and where he thinks it's going to go and when it's going to get there. He also lets us into a little secret. He's heard a rumor about a working group announcement for later this week. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Jeff, how are you, sir? Doing great. Uh, thanks for joining me in my home office slash library. Uh, you know, I, I don't get many visitors these days, so uh, nice to have you. Yeah, I'm impressed with that uh, that book collection there. So who are those guys on, on over your left shoulder in the photo? Yeah, been working on it for years. I, I actually have read a good number of them, uh, though I don't get much time for pleasure reading these days. No, no. No, I was just asking you, who's the, uh, who's the photo of behind you on your left? Those, who are those four guys? Uh, actually, that's a couple of senators that shall remain nameless uh, really? this time, if that's okay. I wish you had a high-res uh, camera, but you don't, so I can't work it out. Hey, look, so we had a great conversation when we spoke, uh, I guess, about three, three weeks ago now, um, but also lots happened. A lot's happened. Uh, we've had Cigar Lake gone down into um, indeterminate closure. Kazakhstan has closed down for three months, pro- possibly longer. They'll review at the time. Namibia, Rossing, Husab, you know, closed down. BHP, Olympic Dam, closed down. Uh, well, sorry, has had reduced output. Um, there's a lot of pounds just came out of the market since we last spoke. I'm, I, I don't even want to ask you this next question, but what do you think that means for you? Well, it, it, if you believe the numbers, then approximately 46 million pounds in aggregate have come out of the market. That's primary production in less than 30 days. That's approximately 35% of global primary production. So what it means to us immediately, of course, is that we, whether or not the, the entire economy or the economies of the world will experience that V-shaped recovery, we don't know. But uh, in looking at our chart, we certainly have from our bottom, we've recovered 100%. Uh, so uh, from that from that time, so it's nice to get that uh, get that pricing back in the stock. And uh, I think that based on just the production and the supply that has come out of the market to date, I believe that we're in a position where we can move up to and perhaps beyond $35 a pound. Uh, the last time we were at forty dollars a pound um, as an industry uh, on spot price, our stock was at two dollars and forty cents. So uh, we're at fifty four, fifty five cents U.S. right now, and so uh, I would I would certainly take that any day. But uh, I think once you break above certain of these psychological barriers, like getting past thirty um, was a challenge. Now you break above thirty five, I think forty comes quickly, and. Uh, you know, look, the utilities have been paying average prices of above $40 a pound on, uh, you know, for some time now. That was their average of something like $42, $43 a pound for 2019. So uh, we're, we're not exactly in uncharted territory. These are prices that the utilities are comfortable with. And so I think that uh, we finally have broken out of that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, um, uh, 
kind of uh, flat line that that we were in, we weren't able to break out of those collars kind of between say twenty four and twenty six dollars a pound, and and now to finally break out of that, I would have preferred that it happened, you know, outside of, uh, you know, a pandemic, but uh, you know, we'll certainly take the rise in equity pricing, and uh, I think that it uh, it I think it, there's there's a lot there's so many things going on right now that. Uh, that the rising prices should actually provide impetus to the utilities to perhaps enter into more aggressive contracting. Uh, I have fielded four RFPs since the beginning of the year. I've answered all of them. None of them have quite been at levels where we could aggressively uh, bid to them, but uh, uh, it's nice to see those RFPs coming into the marketplace. And I think that uh, the supply destruction, the rising prices will lead to more and more uh, utilities realizing that they just can't continue to consume their own inventories, which, of course, they have been doing for about two years now. They, they have, and they're due to let everyone know, you know, what their inventory levels are at. And that, that, that's, you know, one, one piece of their, their of the chessboard, which will be revealed to us. Um, but these RFPs are just feelers. You know, they're trying to send, you know, get a sense of what people will want to be getting um, so they're, they're, that's just them you know, dipping the toe into the market but, and it's only been a couple of weeks since we've been over the 30 bucks barrier how long do you think they will wait before they realize that perhaps I, said, I guess what I'm trying to work out is do you think the price will drop and fall back again if there's not some more imminent movement by the utilities if they do sit back and wait and trying to work out what is going on get a feel for this do you think that the price will drop again i think that'll send negative messages into the market or do you think that the impetus is will be sustainable well you know what that's a great question and and i think unfortunately one that's that's really unknowable right now because there's too many players that uh that it, it's contingent upon their activities, and and let's 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 face it. Most prominently is Kazakhstan. It's nice to see them suspend operations, albeit for only a three-month period of time. We'll certainly take it. That's they by their um, calculations, they believe that that's going to bring uh, that will reduce their overall to 2020 production by about 10.4 million pounds. We would love to see that. Whether or not if they now if they restart production or if this turns into a very uh, short-term shutdown of, of all of these facilities. Remember, you've got seven of the 10 largest uranium producers in the world currently shut in. Seven of 10. So, uh, you know, it just depends on, I, largely on what the Kazakhs do, but I think it's a little more difficult if you're Cameco to shut down a cigar lake and then reopen it uh, in a flash. I mean, you, you, you just, you're laying off a lot of people uh, it, it takes a, a six months period of time to even recover the severances that you gave you, them usually. So typically a shutdown of that size does not come back on right away. Uh, a state-owned enterprise like, and like the joint ventures that the Kazakhs have, that's a bit different. Um, this could be something that, that could be short-lived, but again, I think that there's too much going on. Uh, at the federal level with the United States government. Uh, and uh, well, let's talk uh, about that along the lines of let's the talk about that, Jeff. Let's talk yeah. about that because that there's rumors working working group. What do you know? What I've heard, and this is a rumor, so let me qualify that, is that uh, we could see something out of the working group this week. Now, 
now we've heard that many times before that uh, I, I, I hate even saying that any, anything about that or passing it along, but uh, it, it does make some sense. And, it, you know, it, as we were discussing prior, there is um, right now an incentive and there is, I think, a mindset among a number of the agencies, whether that be commerce, energy, or defense, or members of Congress, high-ranking members of Congress, that are paying very close attention to this, that a more holistic approach needs to be taken. And of course, that's what the working group is all about, is that we're not just looking at the uranium producers, we're going to look at the entire fuel cycle. Well, if you're going to do that, then you have to look at not just the recommendations or the report that the working group is going to release and what recommendations that might provide or what relief that might provide. You also have to be looking at uh, the Russian suspension agreement, which comes up for uh, expiration at the end of this year. But then in addition to that, there is draft legislation out there by Senators Barrasso out of Wyoming and Heinrich out of New Mexico that will call for substantially lower levels of imports coming in from Russia under the suspension agreement, and they would decline each year after that. So it makes some sense that you would want to get that report out there if you're going to look at these things in the aggregate and say, okay, how do we preserve the fuel cycle? What makes sense for the entire industry? So um, would I normally believe that uh, they would come out with the report in the midst of battling the coronavirus and the economy being shut down? No, I would not. Do I think that it's possible that they would need to so that they could make it part of a of a larger strategy that would include some of these multiple phases of these stimulus packages so that you can, in effect, preserve the entire fuel cycle and you have to have the, work, the recommendations of the working group to know what they're thinking and how they intend to go about that? That I can I can see that. So um, whether or not we'll get anything this week, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. We are talking government after all. But um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that we may see something soon. And we were, let's face it, before the, before the lockdown, we were promised by the Secretary of Energy that it would be without it, that it would be out that day or the next day. And unfortunately, that week turned into a week that we're so many things just deteriorated uh, with respect to, uh, you know, the COVID-19 okay. and, and the economic shutdowns and all that it meant. So, Of course, of course. And um, so it's not just utilities that perhaps are going to be nervous about this, you know, well used £46 million coming out of the market. It's the US government seeing what COVID is doing across the board. There's this huge, I mean, yep. never seen before type of huge stimulus package which the U.S. is implementing. And I guess there's a lot of hands being held out to get a piece of that, right? So uh, energy yep. security, obviously critical to them. Do you think that this has been what they needed, the, the kind of kick up the butt that they needed to kind of get their plan plans in order? Well, I think it is, and, and, and as we were we were starting to go down the road of talking about their inventories, if you look in November, uh, very beginning of November, I attended the NEI conference in Nashville where you had a representative of the Department of Energy there talking about the current status of uh, domestic inventories in the United States. And they were talking about how two years earlier, the U.S. utilities had uh, inventories, in-house inventories of 2.9 years, which is the way they express it. And that now, at that time, at the beginning of November, it was now at 2.1 years. 
And you got to think that over the last five months, that has declined a bit. Uh, so you're probably at no more than two years. You may even be at under two years of inventory for the utilities. So they have chosen to consume their own inventories rather than go into the market. How long you can continue to do that, I don't know. And for the two years prior to that, well, the, the reason why the utilities weren't in the market was ostensibly because they were awaiting the outcome of Section 232. Well, then, of course, Section 232 morphs into the working group. Then you've got the Russian suspension agreement that's coming up for renewal and, and expiration. And, and then, of course, you've got the Iran sanctions with the Iranians busily um, producing fissionable material and, and coming closer to actually having a nuclear capability with every passing week. So I, I think that there's always going to be a reason for the utilities to take a wait-and-see approach but I think that um, you get to a point where the majority of our nuclear power plants are uh, in regulated markets, meaning that they are overseen by public utility commissions. And those public utility commissions are the ones that grow very uncomfortable with thin inventories. They like to know where the fuel's coming from for the next couple of years. Frankly, I'm surprised they've let them get this low. Why haven't they? Why hasn't the U.S. government or the the DOE Department of Energy um, talked to you? If there's something coming out this week with the working group, you're one of the two petitioners, right? You're the guy that kicked this thing off. Why are they not talking to you more? Have they got everything they need from you? Uh, why are they? You know, I'm just sort of intrigued just the, the process. When it first started back um, in at the very beginning of August, um, we. Uh, knew when the reports were, they broke the working group up into four separate groups. And one was for uranium, one was for conversion, one was for enrichment, one was for fabrication. And we, of course, weighed in. We formed what we called our industry core working group that represented every phase of the fuel cycle. Uh, and so what we did is we submitted our own report. We also had the advantage of working with a very good um, defense contractor at the time that gave us a good idea of of what perhaps the federal government's needs would be uh, in, in terms of uh, nuclear fuel in the 10 years to, to come. And so we were able to really tailor our industry core working group recommendations that we submitted to the nuclear fuel working group, the president's working group. And we also tailored it to, with respect to the programs that we knew that they had available, whether that's the um, uh, uh, Assured um, Supply Act or the uh, Defense uh, Production Act. And so we, we were able to state to them, look, you can, here's a way that you can support the nuclear fuel cycle, whether it's the, the uranium producers or the converters, and here's where you can get the money, here's where it's readily available by the president, by presidential decree, would not require appropriations. We were a bit surprised, frankly, when the first thing to come out of the working group was the 10-year appropriation of $150 million. Now, that's something that has to survive the appropriations and budgeting process. Whether or not that, that comes out the way we want it to, we don't know. Um, but we'd sure like to see the rest of the report because what we're hopeful of is that there's short-term relief in there. And what I mean by that are either tax credits 
that we would have that would level the playing field between us and wind and solar uh, and even natural gas to a limited extent. So we would like to see some short-term activity there. Other things that we know are part of the sh uh, some of the short-term recommendations that have been made are that they would buy, for example, our inventories. Well, there's only two companies that have inventories right now, ourselves and Energy Fuels, and buy those inventories at above uh, current uh, market prices. That would provide short-term relief, and it would serve to replenish the diminishing um, uh, government stores that, uh, I mean, let's face it, we've been living off of, and we have been, um, we've been consistently depleting uh, Cold War inventories for some time now. And so it's, you know, it, it would be, it would be a way for them to bring in material instantly, give us short-term relief while we're watching some of the other recommendations play out. Okay. Well, let's, let, let's, let's see what happens. Like you said, you, you did preface it with uh, its rumors and its government and so forth. But um, I want to understand how you're feeling now about this. Let's say this W. So let's say this working group uh, doesn't come out with anything this week, and we just go go back to life life before that rumor. And you've you've done your SBA payroll protection, which like you know, if you can, you should. Um, you've got this big inventory sitting there. It has a balance sheet value uh, for you. You've, we talked, I think, extensively, and you're very robust in, in, in explaining the process which use processes which you'd put in place to ensure you know the, the, the company moves forward in the best best put forward basis. I'm interested in how do you feel now, three weeks after, with all of these all of these things which have happened in terms of taking pounds out of the market. How do you feel about your ability? to position your company as one of the early beneficiaries of this market conditions. I'm not talking about the market as well. I want to I want to work out who's going to win first. Well, I think that uh, you know, I've been staying stating consistently that uh, this is going to become a very fundamental market. I don't think that pounds in the ground are going to count for much of anything um, that may have been in, in the last cycle that they did. Uh, I think that now we're going to become a very fundamental marketplace, and the only thing that's really going to matter is is who can ramp up production first, what your cost of production is, how quickly can you make deliveries into contracts that you may receive. So we have stated for some time we believe that we can ramp up faster at lower cost and with less dilution damage to our shareholders than any other company out there. I can at Lost Creek ramp to, for example, a million to a million and a quarter pounds a year, and I can do it in a six to eight month period of time. So we can, and, and that's because everything's already there. The header houses are there. It's uh, it, the, the mine unit is directly adjacent to an existing mine unit and everything flows directly into the plant. And I can ramp that up for about $15 million. Uh, in mining terms, that's nothing. That's, that's pocket change. And I can follow that on with a second uh, facility, Shirley Basin, which already has an NRC license, by the way. Uh, I have to build a satellite plant there, but uh, that's going to cost me about $24, 25000000 million. But that would come online in about 15 months. So by the time I would get two years out, a year and a half to two years out, I'm fully ramped to a two, two million pound per year run rate. And uh, I know, we know based on our past production, look, we've experienced over 92% recovery rate at Lost Creek. That's absolutely unheard of 
even in Kazakhstan, nobody gets 92%. But we have accomplished that in our first mine unit at, uh, at, at Lost Creek. So we know that we, it's just a beast of a property. We can ramp it up quickly. Shirley Basin is four times the grade. And all of this can be done over a two-year period of time, in about a year and a half period of time, for uh, right at $40 million. And if we have the contracts in hand, then I can do that either entirely with debt financing or I can do a combination of debt and equity, depending on where our shares are trading and whether or not we feel that it's advantageous to go ahead and and accept some dilution for the money that we need for ramp up. But we've already taken the precaution of making sure that we have both lenders at the ready and funds that want to participate in our ramp up and would come in on an equity basis. So uh, we feel that we're very well prepared. If nothing happens, worst case scenario, nothing happens with the Iran sanctions, nothing happens with the working group, nothing happens on the Russian suspension agreement. All it means is that I'm in the same position tomorrow as I am today and that we've been in for the last 10 years. And eventually, we won't have contracts. Uh, even Cameco is running out of contracts. We're at the end of the contracting cycle. We need to begin a new one. But it would it would simply mean that you know I would be left with our our runway, which, as I stated, takes us through to about the middle of next year. So we're in good shape. We've got time to work with, and uh, we're confident that something's going to break and something's going to come of this. But. Uh, when you know, I've kept on 20 people at the plant, so I've got my operational staff at the ready. They are there. They will serve as the foundation on which I will expand that uh, that uh, that employee base and to ramp up production because we'll probably have to ramp up to about 75 guys at the plant mm-hmm. from the 20 that are out there now if we ramp up to two million pounds per year. Uh, and you know, look, and that's that's no stretch for us. Four years ago, we had nearly 100 employees. Today, we've got 30. So we're ready to go. We've got our operational staff um, in, in position, and uh, we've kept the best of the best. Okay, so thank you for that. Um, remind me uh, and re- remind people again, what is the price point that you think you're going to need to get on some of these con- early contracts? Now, clearly, obviously, as time goes on, you contracts will be at different terms, different prices. No, that's a- so what would you aim for? It's a good question, and, and uh, look, when, when Tim Gitzel was asked that same question, what would it take for him to restart production in the United States, he said he wouldn't, he said he'd need 60 or better, and I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with that number. Obviously, we have demonstrated that we can, we can get by at $50 contracts. Remember, since Fukushima occurred, which was nine years ago at the end of last, uh, middle of last month, um, we have only raised $22 million uh, in the market via equity over that nine-year period of time. Compared to any of our peers, there are many multiples of what we've had to do, how, of the extent to which we've had to dilute in the market. So we're very confident in our abilities. Um, I can probably get by on $50, $55 contracts, but you have to remember when, now when you're ramping up from really just a pretty much a care and maintenance um, status, which we are at today, you have to factor in capital, um, CapEx recovery, uh, exploration and development to replace the pounds that you are producing, and you have to build in an acceptable rate of return for your shareholders. So uh, I'm more comfortable saying that we really need contracts in the 60 to $65 range. And let's face it, only five, six years ago, the average price that the utilities were paying for a pound of uranium 
was upwards of $56, $57 a pound. Okay, understood. So um, this isn't uncharted territory. It is, it is. Um, one last question, um, Jeff. Since we last spoke, have you had conversations with your buddy down the road, your, your co-petitioner with regards to the mill? Because we saw uh, the announcement and we, we, we spoke very quickly with, with Mark about his foray into rare earths processing. So he's obviously looking to try and capitalize on, on, on the mill by putting um, product through it. Um, how are those conversations and when would you expect to have them if, if you haven't already done so? Well, we talk to we we talk to the guys at uh, at Energy Fuels all the time. Um, for one for one reason is uh, we are we are both interested parties in the Russian suspension agreement. Uh, that's a status that you actually have to file for legally, and so we uh, are united in our position uh, with the Department of Commerce uh, with the Russians on the other side of those negotiations and and uh, we so we talk to them on an ongoing basis uh, you know we want to make sure that the outcome of the russian suspension agreement is one that is is certainly no more harmful to the domestic producers than the existing one has been which has been in place for 28 years so we talked to them on an ongoing basis about that of course we submitted the when we were the industry core working group and submitted our recommendations to the president's working group we did that jointly with energy fuels and others in the fuel cycle so virtually everything that we do we're doing with the guys at energy fuels we have a great working relationship with them and they're not the only ones looking at rare earths we we're looking at rare earths on our on our property ourselves this is nothing we've announced it's in the very early stages but uh, rare earths are everywhere and uh, you know that's something that uh, that that may uh, be uh, a future endeavor of ours as well. Uh, we also have a gold property that uh, we're we're hoping to do work on here within the next month or two. We've just been waiting for the weather to change out on the site. So uh, uh, we talk to them on an ongoing basis. We work together on all of these things, and as the two remaining producers, uh, you know, we we have to work together. We have to stick together and. Uh, you know, we're gonna. I think you know they just did a financing back in the in the in the first quarter, and uh, and so uh, I think they're in good shape through the remainder of the year. We're in good shape through the remainder of the year and into next year. So uh, I think that um, you've got the two remaining producers in about as good a shape financially as we can be. Uh, and uh, if we get the relief on any of the fronts that we've been discussing. Obviously, you know, my objectives very simply are that I would like to have new contracts in place before the end of the year. Fantastic. There it is. Fantastic. That's what we need, what energy fuels need, and anybody else purporting to be a domestic producer in the United States, we need contracts. We need we need that new fuel, that new contracting cycle to begin. Jeff, I thank you very much for today. It's exciting times for you guys. Uh, you, you know, I guess this, well, it's not... <laughs> For all the wrong reasons, as you say, but it's exciting times for uranium CEOs and uh, share prices creeping up, which is lovely. Um, we'll see what happens this week with working the working group and um, pick up that phone again if you hear anything. Well, we hope that we hope that uh, that both the working group and, and suspension agreement will result in something over the over the near term. Let's just call it the next sixty to ninety days. If that's the case, I'll be in touch and. Uh, and we'll do this again. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Matt. And uh, 
and thanks for giving me the platform to you know discuss the industry and our story once again. It's really the pleasure is ours. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.